Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 176 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Strength and Fortitude, an interview with Theora DeBronte. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Matt, if DC is looking for the next superhero, I think they should really consider Theora. This woman went through hell and back, and she went through it all with strength and fortitude. And Rich, Theora did not shy away from anything. She discussed the possibility of getting Lyme sexually. She talks about getting a traumatic brain injury from her Lyme treatment and how she's currently dealing with it. She talks about using neural retraining for the TBI, but also how it can help Lyme disease. And she also talked to us about a specific Lyme clinic that helped her get her life back. So Matt, in true superhero form, Theora ended this podcast by sharing with us that she's going to return to social media so that she can take the lessons that she's learned through this journey and share with others to help them shortcut their journeys. So Matt, without further ado, strength and fortitude. Hey, Theora, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, we are really excited. I mean, this is a long time coming. We discovered you and some of your really creative videos long ago. And Matt has been wanting to have you on the podcast for a long time. So finally, the time has arrived. We the, are here. The smart and creative Theora uh, is here. And um, so, folks, uh, we, we first want to introduce you to this guest. So tell us where you're from. Where are you living now? I don't mean this moment right now. I don't. I know you're in Hawaii right now on vacation, which is another thing I have to thank you for taking time out of your vacation to uh, honor the commitment to come on. But tell us about where you live when you're not vacationing in Hawaii. Well, I'm currently in transition. Obviously, when you get sick, life takes you in other places. So um, I am with in Tahoe uh, with my parents pretty much, but I'm also down in San Diego and LA because I am still doing some treatments. So um, I'm down there for that too. So you're a West Coast gal. West Coast gal, anywhere in California, basically. <laughs> so did you grow up in California? I did. I'm, I'm from Carmel, um, a really small little town by Monterey. And yeah, um, been all, I mean, I went to Santa Barbara for a couple of years for college and I went to San Francisco and then I went to LA and then San Diego. And so I've been all around California on the coast. So talk to us about what your childhood experience was like. I had a great childhood experience. You know, I grew up by the beach, even though it was cold, um, did a lot of activities like biking and hiking. And, um, I was right by the Monterey Bay aquarium. So when I was little, we were, we were members. So I got to go a lot to that. And, um, you know, a lot of camping trips and skiing trips. So I was a very active kid, um, you know, did softball and basketball and soccer. Not that I was great at all of them, just basically softball was the only one I was good at. Um, I did acting a lot of plays and just real, like, like a mover and shaker. I was very into a bunch of different stuff. So as a gal who was living this outdoor life, including camping and various sporting activities, uh, did anybody ever give you any warnings or training about how to protect yourself from ticks and Lyme disease? No, not as a kid. Did you know anything about ticks or uh, tick diseases during your childhood? The only thing I knew about ticks is that they got on my dog every once in a while and we had to take them out. That was all I knew. And uh, were you ever aware that in addition to ticks biting your dog, that they could be biting you or other family members? Nope. Had no idea. So fast forward to your time in college. Where'd you go to college and what were you pursuing when you went to college? So I first went to Santa Barbara City College for a couple of years, and then I transferred to San Francisco State and I was um, studying dietetics to become a registered dietitian. And... Um, 
yeah, it was a pretty hard major. It's pre-med and, you know, I probably had some, I also suffered, suffer from mold poisoning. And I think that's where I was starting to get really sick was with mold poisoning at that point. Um, in San Francisco, it's very moldy. I saw it all over the place. I already knew I was allergic to mold, but I didn't know that it could like take down your immune system. So I started having problems in college, um, with like my mental capacity, I would say brain fog and stuff like that. And, and that, and that health challenge that you were, you were managing in college, you believe was related to uh, an allergy to, to, uh, to mold. Yes, I do. Yeah. So talk to us about when you graduated from college and what kind of work were you pursuing? So I graduated college and in order to become a registered dietitian, it's actually pretty challenging. Um, you have to be like perfect on paper and then you have to get into an internship, which are just a number and they don't look at you. Um, so you have to be like, you know, really good grades, a good personal statement, um, letters of recommendation. You have to have like a thousand hours of, you know, community service and clinical and food service. So I ended up going back and working at, a. um, at a hospital in San Francisco for a year as um, a dietary aide where we worked under the dietitians before I got into my internship at San Francisco State and <clears throat> did my internship and um, which is basically a residency. I don't know why they call it an internship. So we took master's courses on Mondays and then Tuesday through Friday, we did basically worked, um, did residency at different locations. So, yeah. So share with us when you first started to show symptoms of what you now know to be Lyme disease. Well, you know, so for me, I ended up moving down to LA. I started a job as a dietitian um, about 11 months in to that job. I started having really bad sleeping problems, which is something I've suffered with for a long time. Um, that, that was about seven months in my apartment at the time after being totally fine. And, um, you know, I think that was the beginning of it. So this was 2014. Again, I think that this was from the mold. Um, and if anybody knows anything about Lyme, technically our bodies can fight it off. Um, if we have a strong immune system, well, my immune system was so taxed by living in, I believe what happened is I was living in a very moldy environment for about six years and contracted Lyme along the way. Um, and it just, took my body out. Let's talk about that for a minute. Two of our recent guests, um, one of whom is uh, Dr. Bill Rawls, um, shared with us that in his experience as a clinician, uh, very rarely would someone go from acute Lyme disease to chronic Lyme disease, meaning our bodies, as you just pointed out, in most cases can manage um, can manage Lyme disease, at least uh, acute, acute Lyme, unless right. one of two things in at, at least Dr. Rawls's experience take place. One is if you're bitten by multiple ticks, then the likelihood, because the viral load is so high, the likelihood of going from acute to chronic is substantially higher. But yeah. the second, the second um, example that he had given in his practice, at least, was that if you're living in a high mold environment, that if, it, that if your immune system is being disrupted by all of the mold in your environment, the likelihood of you going from acute to chronic Lyme disease is substantially higher. So it sounds to me, that's where you were. You're living in this chronic environment. I mean, this, this high Lyme environment where high, I'll high say mold. it again, <laughs> high mold environment where your immune system is now being suppressed and you now come in contact with a tick. Now, do you remember coming in contact with a tick? 
So no, I have no recollection of ever being bitten by a tick. I don't know if you guys have heard that it's potentially, I think I got it from my ex-boyfriend. He was bit by a tick 20 times from Texas. Um, and I'm pretty positive that's where it came from for me, which I don't know if a lot of people talk about that, but it happens. Sexual transmission of Lyme disease is certainly a controversial topic. And there seems to be growing evidence that, that you can sexually transmit Lyme disease. And we, we, we recently asked that question to Dr. Rawls and he argued that you could, uh, you could contract it sexually. And, uh, Dr. Alan McDonald, who's a pathologist that we recently interviewed also, took the position that you can clearly get Lyme disease through sexual transmission. So we know there is certainly a fair amount of research that suggests that, um, that uh, the vaginal fluids of one partner and the sperm uh, and the sperm of another partner are very likely to uh, have uh, Lyme bacteria in them when one or the other has, uh, has this. So it is your belief that, that you, that you contracted Lyme through sexual transmission. That is true. I mean, my Lyme doctor said, you know, any blood sucking insect can technically give you Lyme. The reason that ticks give are like the main giver is because you know how they do it. So they have two prongs, one that they inject their poison into you and one that they suck your blood. So they're a lot bigger than a flea or a mosquito. So they're on you for a lot longer and they're sucking a lot more blood and they're injecting a lot more poison. So is it possible that I could have gotten it from a mosquito from mosquitoes? Yeah, probably my body was able to fight it off at that time. Maybe it laid dormant. And then when the mold happened and took out my system that caused it, but I'm pretty sure, you know, my main symptoms started coming after we were together. So, so let's talk about how those symptoms developed and how those symptoms were interfering with your capacity to pursue your job as a dietitian. Yeah. So again, my story is a little bit different because I did have mold on board. So it's hard to say what symptoms were from what disease were causing what, but in 2000, at the end of 2017, I also, you know, stress brings on a lot of problems. You know, when your body's under chronic stress, then, you know, whatever is hanging out in there can come out and play. So I was involved in a sexual harassment situation at work. Um, I was a registered dietitian. I was working as a consultant. I went to about 22 different locations a month. And, um, one of the locations, the medical director was actually coming on to me. It got around to the, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was, it was not great. Um, it got around to the, you know, the administration, I never said anything, but I guess it wasn't, I wasn't the only one that that was happening to, And a case got opened up. And right as that case got opened up, I started to have really major symptoms um, because I was having so much anxiety that I was going to lose my job. And sure enough, I did end up losing that account over the whole thing. And um, so that was like December of 2017. And then in January, my anxiety really started to kick in. Um, And I know you told me before the podcast that when you found that tick on you, the you just broke out into a sweat. That's what was starting to happen to me. I would, if I was frightened, I would just be drenched in sweat immediately. I stopped sleeping, um, and started having to take medication to sleep specifically, um, anxiety medication. Cause my anxiety was so high. And then it started getting into these really weird symptoms where my vision would go blurry when I was, um, driving, my nose would start to go numb 
my body would start to shake for up to two days. And I started having all these neurological issues where I would see a red light and I would go and I would see a green light and I would stop. And I was like, this is not normal at all. And then this whole sleeping thing. And then the final straw was I was covering a building in Watts in Los Angeles, didn't know really where I was going. And, um, you know, the railroad signs come on and I go to stop and I'm like, this is interesting. Like there's only one roadblock in front of me for this railroad. Why, where's the second one? My first thought was like, oh, somebody probably ran through it. You know, 60 seconds later, I'm like, this is really weird though. And I look in my rear view mirror and sure enough, the other railroad blocker is behind me. I'm in the railroad tracks and I had no idea. And I was like, Oh God, this is really not good. So I back up as far as I can. The train thankfully is on the other rail, but that's when I was like, I'm in trouble. Something's really wrong with me. And I don't know. And I called my sister who is in the medical field and, um, she called the doctors and they pulled me out immediately. Wow. So one of the things we should sort of unpack here, because this is a really important element of, of a Lyme disease journey, is, is uh, and, and I'm going to use Dr. Bill Rawls's theory of the pot or metaphor of the pot boiling over. And his argument yeah. is that we're all, we're all, you know, um, you know, on a certain level have, you know, a pot simmering. And of course you, because you were living in a high mold environment, had this pot simmering, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was beginning to boil up. And then of course, another immune disrupting event is stress, right? So you're, yes. you're in this very stressful environment that sent your body into this fight or flight mode. And what ultimately happened is now the pot boiled over and you became chronically ill to the point where you were almost a victim of a, of a train wreck where yeah. you're on a train track, not knowing that you, you're, you're, you were on a train track. Yep. So Talk to us about how everything developed from that point forward and what impact your developing symptoms were having on your ability to work. Yeah. So I obviously got pulled out of work, um, was put on disability, state disability, went, <clears throat> went down to San Diego because there was a, like, um, it's called the center for health and well-being. So they had a, a medical doctor is the main doctor. And then they had a bunch of naturopathic doctors. And obviously we knew that I needed some, a different type of care and they had a IV lab too. So I get in there. My first doctor wasn't that great. I hope she doesn't listen to this, but, um, you know, I could tell my, my body just kept declining. So all of a sudden it was like the neurological issues were getting worse. The fatigue was out of control. I should have not been driving at all. I, it was terrible. Um, my gut completely got inflamed. And, um, I, all of a sudden my thyroid had been attacked. I was having hypothyroidism. I had to get on thyroid medication and then my liver and my kidneys started to decline. And that's when we were like, okay, something's really wrong. I ended up switching doctors under that roof and, you know, it took 10 months for them to figure out that I had mold and Lyme disease. So in total, how many doctors did you see before you got your Lyme disease diagnosis? I'm, you know, I feel like I started complaining about this stuff in like 2017 and nobody was listening to me. So there was probably at least five or six. And were you diagnosed with anything other than Lyme disease during this window of time where you were showing classic Lyme disease symptoms, but not yet diagnosed with Lyme? Anxiety and depression. 
So they were essentially saying it was all in your head. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us about how you got your diagnosis and what was different about the doctor that diagnosed you when compared to all the other doctors you had seen who were misdiagnosing you? Well, fortunately, I got a really great doctor that knew what to do. Um, The first step that came back for me was she had run this cortisol test on me and my cortisol was so high the first time they thought I had Cushing's disease. And then they tested me again for Cushing's disease. And thankfully I didn't, but you know, I just happened to, this doctor's so smart. And, um, so she, that was the first like red flag was like, my cortisol was literally through the roof. They'd never seen anything like it. And, um, and then I had an acupuncture on as well. That was like, look, we need to test you for mold. And that's the first test that came back. And, you know, these, the naturopathic, this specific naturopathic doctor looked at things in a different way, right? We weren't just looking at blood tests, you know, your regular, what they call a CBC, which is like your, um, blood panel for, you know, your red blood cells and stuff like that, or a metabolic panel, which is your, you know, that you look at your liver and your electrolytes. That's there's, that's not enough to tell you what's going on by any means. If it's in the blood, it's too late. So urine tests are a lot more accurate. Um, except for this, you know, I, they did run the C- CDC bl- Lyme panel on me, which I don't recommend that either. It's not very accurate, except if you're someone like me, who's very limey and you actually pop positive on it. So, um, yeah, those between my acupuncturist and my naturopathic doctor, they were able to kind of, I mean, I was considered the mystery case of the clinic, like everybody I mean, there's probably 10 doctors there, three acupuncturists, chiropractor who's like worked for NASA, has seen a bunch of different stuff. They could not figure out what was wrong with me. And it took a lot of digging and, you know, me not giving up because I kept saying, I, something's not right here and we have to figure out what's wrong because I refuse to live my life this way. Like, I just can't, I can't go on this way. So finding a good team is really, really important. Here, let's talk more about the testing. You did mention that you were one of the fortunate ones to pop positive on a CDC test, which we know is horribly inaccurate. Yep. But you also noted on your pre-interview questionnaire that you did a dark field test. So can you talk about what a dark field test is for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So um, fortunately for me, this is crazy, but I'm the sixth person in my family to have Lyme disease. And I hope people know that it is not genetic by any means. I've only had one blood relative. Um, my aunt, everyone else is through marriage and they were all bit by ticks. So we've gone to this treatment center in Reno, Nevada to do this crazy treatment that works. Um, but so when I tested positive, we already knew what to do. Um, I'm sorry to interrupt. Can you, are you comfortable sharing the name of that clinic? Yeah, absolutely. It's called Sierra integrative medical center. Um, and they're in Reno, Nevada. I highly recommend it. It's crazy. Just, you know, prepare yourself, but it works. So, um, my stepmom actually was like, we have to get you to Nevada and we have to get a dark field. So what a dark field is, is they just take a little, um, they prick your finger with blood and they put it under a microscope and they look at your blood and you can see your, your red blood cells. You can see if you have big neutrophils, what are, which are white blood cells, which will tell you if you're fighting something. And then you can actually see the spirochetes in your blood swimming around or hatching in my case, as they called it, I was pregnant and hatching on the, I could see it right there. I have video of it. I can send you guys. It's disgusting. So this is an actual test that shows you 
essentially in the end, a video recording of, of the, your blood under a microscope of the spirochetes moving around and also reproducing and, and pregnant spirochetes essentially. Yeah, it's actually not even a video recording. It's happening right in front of you. Like the, the, mic, the microscope is hooked up to a TV. So you're seeing exactly what the nurse is looking at under the microscope. And I took video of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you could share that with us, we will make that available. We'll put the link if you're comfortable with your in, yeah. in the show notes. So our listeners can can look at that as well, because I think a lot of people may be interested to see what that looks like to consider getting the, the uh, dark field test done as well. Yeah, absolutely. Not a problem. So now at this point, you were treating with your team of doctors, but you, you, you didn't go to the Sierra Integrative Medical Center. This was just from your family members' experiences that told you to get that test, it sounds like, right? So no, I did. So when I tested positive for Lyme in August of 2019 and went up to the center for my dark field in October, because it's kind of something you have to plan for, um, and then came back in November for the actual treatments. So let's talk more about the Sierra Integrative Medical Clinic. We or center, we've had a lot of people reach out to us asking if we know of any good inpatient Lyme facilities. Now, is this an inpatient facility? So it's technically outpatient, um, but because I don't think they can, well, I guess there's one in, in Mexico that's kind of similar, Santa Viva. I don't know if you guys have heard of that one. So it's outpatient. You come in, um, they do IVs, you know, they, they basically put you through detox for the first week. Um, they do blood ozone and a bunch of detox IVs, and then they do what's called a mitochondrial push. So it's actually this algae that they create this concoction with and, um, they inject you with it. And what it does is it puts your body into hypothermia. So you shake and shiver, um, for about 30 to 60 minutes. I don't know if you've seen that on my Instagram. I have, I can send you videos of me doing that. And then you spike a really high fever for, you know, however long you want it to run. I tried to get it at least a few hours, but, um, you can always cut it with, um, Tylenol or something, but it's, I mean, it's crazy. I'm not going to lie. Um, but it works. Yeah. I'm sorry to stop you there. You're just giving us so much really good information. I want to just get some more yeah, details no. before we go on. So the first thing is if somebody is interested in a clinic and this clinic worked very well for you this year, integrative medical center, did you stay at a hotel and just go back on a daily basis? What was that like for you as far as visiting the clinic and being able to get the treatment there? Yeah. So they have, um, some, um, like discounts with the hotels around. Uh, there's also, I'm actually looking into creating housing for them because people do come from all over the country, all over the world. Um, and I think that would be very helpful. So bear with me. Hopefully we'll have something up like that in the next six months. Um, so, but my parents lived in South Lake Tahoe, which was an hour and 15 minutes away. So when I first started, um, I stayed in a hotel just for the first couple of nights. And then I tried to do the commute back and forth and then that didn't work. I put out something on Instagram that I said, look, I need a place to stay in Reno. Is there anybody that would host me and my mom who was taking care of me and somebody came through and I ended up staying about 10 minutes from the clinic. So some people rent places um, where we're looking to create housing is literally right across the street. Um, and they, but they can do like my sister who was at the clinic for six months, she rented, they do three month rentals, six months, six month rentals and a year rental that's called horizons. Um, so there's that option. I also tried to find, you know, like an apartment to rent to, and um, that didn't go over very well because I wasn't looking at Horizons at the time. So did your sister have Lyme as well and she was treated there for six months? Yeah. So my stepsister technically. 
she was her and my cousin Allie were the first two to get Lyme disease. They had it really, 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 really bad. And my cousin Allie's boyfriend at the time found this center in Reno. And so they were the first two to, to do it. <laughs> and they, yeah, they lived at horizons for about six months. So just to, just to, just to back up a little bit to kind of keep track of the story, you were diagnosed by a team of doctors a naturopath and, and some others and an acupuncturist. Now, what, how long were you with them? Did you go right into the Sierra Integrative Medical Center or did you do any other treatments prior to that with your, your previous medical team? Yeah. So I, my body crashed in October of 2018. That's when I was taken out medically, taken down to San Diego, went to this other kind of holistic center and for 10 months was doing all these crazy different treatments. I don't know if you guys have heard of NAD therapy. It's really big right now. Um, again, there was really no, they kind of just threw me into whatever. Cause they didn't know what was wrong with me. NAD is supposed to help all these different things, but you're also not supposed to be on medication when you do NAD NAD is a precursor to your brain. So I was taking sleep medication because I wasn't sleeping. So for six weeks, I basically wasted a bunch of money and time doing this really intensive IV therapy for three days a week for six hours. I was doing all different types of IV therapy that lasted for 10 months when I got the Lyme and mold diagnosis. And so I got the mold in July, Lyme in August of 2019. And then I went into treatment. I think I was doing a few things still in San Diego, not much though, but then I was in Reno, Nevada at Sierra Integrative Medical Center for November and December of 2019. So you were treating before you even had your mold and then the next month later Lyme diagnosis in mm -hmm. San Diego. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and as I think a really important tip, because many Lyme patients do consider taking NID and some of them, some of our guests have taken NID, you're not supposed to take other medication with it. Otherwise it won't be effective. And, exactly. and, and in your case, you ended up wasting a ton of money. It sounds like doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you spent a 10 month window, both pre and post diagnosis of mold and Lyme in LA. Didn't make much progress. It was just IVs and NAD. Anything else you did there before you went on to Sierra? Um, acupuncture. That's about it. Yeah. Okay. So now, now we're going to fast forward and go back to the Sierra Integrative Medical Center. How long was your stay there? So it was supposed to be six weeks, um, but it ended up being two months. So basically the beginning of November to the end of December. And the reason is so that they do it in six week cycles because the um, immune system turns over twice in six weeks, or actually it might be four weeks. I think it's a week of detox, two weeks of pushes, and then a week of detox. So in those two, well, no, maybe I'm wrong. It's 20 pushes total you have to do because the immune system turns over twice. For most people. And, and the first thing you mentioned, so I'm going to kind of go back to where you were before you mentioned you started with blood ozone and then you did these algae mitochondrial pushes that were really, it's a hypothermia, which leads to hyperthermia. So first let's focus on the blood ozone that you did at Sierra. So what, what exactly is blood ozone and how did it help you? Yeah. So blood ozone, I can't say it necessarily helped me, but I was also really, really sick. I probably should have done it more. So they, what they do is they put this, you know, big needle into you and they pull out your blood, they ozonate it, and then they put it back in. So it's supposed to ozonate your blood, which is supposed to help your body be able to fight things a little bit better and like boost your immune system. Most people rave about it. Um, I didn't see much with it, but again, everybody's different. So I think if I'd done it more, it probably would have been better, but and I think timing is important also, because we've learned that when people do certain therapies in the beginning of their treatment, 
they sometimes they don't help, but when they do them later on in their healing journey, they become helpful. So I think that might be another yeah. factor here. Yeah. Now, were you were you doing just blood ozone and then no. you moved on to the pushes, or were you doing the pushes and blood ozone in parallel at the same time? So like I what they so how they have it set up there is for the first week is you're doing the detox and you're doing blood ozone. So they do these detox IVs like vitamin C. Um, I feel like they had me doing like FOSS. I can't remember exactly. And then they would have you do two treatments of blood ozone. Um, again, you know, this is all out of pocket. So I had gotten to the point where it was like, I had to kind of pick and choose what I was going to do. And that's why I don't, I didn't continue with blood ozone because I just couldn't afford it at that time. Um, but they basically put you through detox. The blood ozone is part of the detox in the first week. And now after the detox part of your stay at Sierra is done, you now move on to the protocol for the, the, these pushes, as you called them, which are the mitochondrial pushes. And it's, it's really an algae. Is that what you said? It's an algae. Push? Yeah. It's an algae that they grow. And I don't know what else they concoct in there. The, um, the owner's mom makes it the, the, the potion <laughs> every Sunday and, um, yeah, they inject you with it. So we had another guest, Kristen Nanos, who went to the Sierra Integrative Medical Center as well. And she did, I, I think it may be the same thing. She, she actually had to say, basically inject herself in her butt with these pushes. Is that the same thing? So those are the butt shots. I don't know if you've seen my Instagram, but I have that too. So no, that's glyoxal and glyoxal is a, um, it's basically an immune booster. So we, yes, while we're there, we take glyoxal shots every single day and then they send you home with them. So technically you do them three times a week on your own. Um, I still have some, I take, that's something, I mean, I was on them for a very long time until now I just keep them for, if I feel like things I'm not feeling so good, I'll give myself a glyoxal shot. And are those helpful boosters when you're not feeling well to help boost the immune system and kind of bounce yes. you back into a healthy state? Yeah. Like if I had it my way, everyone would have glyoxal on them just in case. <laughs> so walk us more through the exact process of getting these pushes, the mitochondrial pushes. So first you get really cold, right? It sounds like you mm -hmm. get like this hypothermia and then you become yep. hyperthermia where you almost develop a fever. It sounds like, right? Yep. Yep. That's exactly it. So, and it, it's also very uncomfortable. Um, it's not just like, Oh, I'm cold. It's like, you feel like, I mean, I don't know how to explain it, except like maybe like you have the flu, but like the re a really bad flu, your whole body's achy, everything hurts. And then you start shaking really hard on, and you can't control it. Um, the most uncomfortable part for me was my teeth. So I used to bite a blanket and I'd be covered in, um, um, heating pads because you'd just be so cold and you just kind of rock and they call it the shake and bake. So you're shaking and then it'll finally wear off and then you'll just spike a super high fever. So, um, you know, they try not to let you go over one Oh five because yeah, I was, you know, in pure Theora fashion set the record at a temp of one Oh seven point two on my fourth day in. Yep. Yeah. It's great for me. So, um, I don't recommend that, you know, one of the MAs was like, look to have a therapeutic experience, you're fine at like a one Oh one, one Oh two fever for an hour. So after I hit my one Oh seven, I was like, okay, I don't need to go that high. Um, so I would do try to stay around one Oh four at the max, uh, for about an hour or two, if I could, you know, if you're in a lot of pain and you're, you can make it at least an hour, that's great. Um, but if you can go longer, like 
my stepsister's crazy. And she was like, you need to laugh, have it go forever. And it needs to be high and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, everyone needs to do this their own way. Okay. I don't need to be suffering forever. Well, I think the fact that you broke a record there and you hit the 107 <laughs> plus mark is probably uh, pretty, pretty outstanding in itself. So yeah. talk to us about timing though. So the first question, it's a two-part question here. How long is the cold phase or the hypothermia phase? And is that does that naturally progress into the fever or do you have to do something to trigger you out of the cold or the hypothermia into the hyperthermia or the the hot phase, the fever phase? Yeah. So normally the hypothermia lasts 30 to 60 minutes. I would say 60 minutes max, sometimes a little bit more. And it just goes into the fever on its own. You don't have to do anything. It just happens. And now once you hit the fever, you made it sound like that you can do something to get out of it because your sister-in-law was telling you, Hey, stay in it longer. So are you, are you, injecting something or taking something to then get rid of the fever? How does that work? So you can take Tylenol and it will cut the push. Yeah. And are these, are these pushes proprietary to Sierra or these things that people are able to get on their own outside of going to the Sierra clinic? Yeah. It's not something that you can get. Um, that's why it's in Nevada. It's, it's not even legal in California. I know that Mexico also does something. San Aviv does something similar, but they actually knock you out when they put you into that high fever. They um, make you go to sleep, which would make things a lot easier. Um, but no, Sierra Integrative Medical Center is the only place that I know of in the United States that does this. I know that the so because we've been with Dr. Fong, the medical director here for at Sierra for like seven years, he's like basically one of our best friends at this point. So I know a little bit more information about the place, but his mom bought this specific treatment off of the Russians. I believe it was the Russians. I hope I'm not wrong on that. And I don't know if she's has it patented, but basically nobody can else can like buy this specific treatment style. So walk us through the first time you got this mitochondrial push, because now you're really sick. You're in, you're in LA, nothing's helping. You go, you go to Reno and now you're just like, you, you're horribly sick. You get this push and now you, now you get crazy cold, crazy hot. You're having a fever. What was that like for you? And, and talk us through the aftermath afterwards too, the first push. Oh my gosh. So the first push, you know, wasn't too, too bad. I just remember, I mean, I have video of it. My like just not being in control of my body was probably the weirdest part. And the, like my legs just shaking sore. And they have this one room that they call the ICU room that have beds in it. And so they're really old beds. And I, of course, get the squeakiest one next to the wall. So, you know, it's just going squeak, 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 squeak all over the place. And I'm like, oh my God, this is making it so much worse. And, um, well, no, actually I lied. My first push didn't happen until I left. For some reason, I had a delayed reaction happened when I was in the car with my sister and I was like, this is awesome. This is exactly how I wanted my first experience to happen. So like we're driving through McDonald's to get her daughter something to eat. And I'm like, you know, and it stops about an hour later. And then I wake up in the middle of the night and it started again. And I was all by myself and I was like, oh God, I'm not prepared for this, but it really, that one wasn't too, too bad. So it was okay. But the second time, the next day when it happened was when I was really, I mean, it came on, you know, intense. So these pushes can, can, what, what exactly is the push there? Are they injecting you with something like what? Yeah. So like, think like they call it a push because it's a small little injection that they push into you. So you have, you've done an IV, so you have your little port in and you keep it on. So you go in, you do a morning 
a couple morning IVs. In my case, I also had brain problems. So they were treating me with TMS, which we'll get to that later. Um, and you get your butt shot, your glyoxal shot, and you have to wait two hours before you can get the push. And so they just, you know, you sit up there, they inject you with however much it is. So say like a half of inch or an inch, depending on where you're at in your stage of the medication. And they just push it into you. I think that's why they call it a push. So the first time you got this push, you didn't feel the effects from it until after you left and were driving back to the hotel and you had yeah. it in the car, you had the, 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 the cold effect, right? The, the yeah. hypothermia effect. Yeah. And yeah. then the hyperthermia kicked in overnight or, or I misunderstand that. So I had two rounds of hypothermia that night. I had hype. I, for me, my favorite thing to do once I, when I was like in a push or at the end of a push was get into a hot bath. So I think I had my hyperthermia experience that particular time in the bathtub. Um, but you know, it's the first time they give it to you, it's called a dab. So they just give you a little bit. So most people don't react to it. Like 95% of people don't. The second time it's just a little bit more. So you're kind of just, they're trying to see how your body's going to react to it. Right. Are you very sensitive? Um, some people can take a lot. So for me, you know, that second experience wasn't too, too intense because I hadn't had that much medication injected into me, but I did have that second round of hypo hypothermia at nighttime, which was really interesting. So then I found out that could happen. <laughs> so you can have two bouts of hypothermia from one push. It sounds like. Yes, you can. Now walk us through health wise. So obviously it's a very unpleasant experience to have extreme cold and extreme heat and fevers and, and, and flu like symptoms. Now, at what point did you start to see a change in your health and your symptomology? Was this early on with the pushes? You know, was it, was it later on? When, when did your health start to change? Okay. Well, my, again, my story is very complicated. So while I was there, because they were so worried about my neurological issues because of that whole stopping in the railroad track situation, they tested my brain. They did an, what's called a functional EEG. They had a consultant in there, um, who was a, I don't even know what his credentials are at this point because he's a phony turns out. And, um, but he did run this FEEG on my brain and they could see that I was having all these problems from being so sick with the, the lime and the mold. And he was like, I'll do what's called TMS and I can fix your brain. So what, what is TMS? Dior? So it's transcranial magnetic stimulation and they put a big, um, magnet on your brain and they stimulate it in different areas, depending on what's going on. So they saw for me that it, and it, the FEEG that they run first is like, they put this little cap on your head and they read all different parts of your brain and see what's going on. And then you get this printout and it says, okay, this part of your brain, this is where it's supposed to be. And this is where you are. So you're out of range. So we need to get you back here. And they also found that when I close my eyes, my brain speeds up and I was like, well, maybe that's why I don't sleep at night. And he was like, I can fix all this, but the major stuff was on the left side of my brain and in the back. And so he puts this fat magnet on my head and stimulates it. So I'm doing that while I'm doing pushes and I'm noticing I'm not feeling better. Like there was this girl that was in there with me who's 16, who's had Lyme since she was five. And she starts like coming around during the process. And I'm just getting worse and worse and worse. And it turns out, you know, my last push was on a Wednesday and my insomnia for me, like my biggest trigger is insomnia and my insomnia was getting worse and worse and worse as I'm going through these Lyme treatments. And, you know, my aunt who had gone through this was like, you know, 
sometimes it can take up to six months afterwards until you feel better. Um, but you know, technically you should start sleeping because she, she has insomnia too. She's like, you know, the pushes should actually help you sleep because your body's so tired. And I'm like, well, that's not happening for me. And, um, how, how long were you getting these pushes at this point? So now you're, you're introducing this, this brain therapy and you're also getting the pushes. Are we talking a month, two months, three months? How long, so, how long were you in the treatment for? I was there for two months and I was doing both the treatments at the same time. Well, not so like morning time would be IVs. Then I would go into TMS for 30 minutes. Then I would have lunch, get my shots and wait two hours and then come back and have the pushes. That's what my day looked like. And, um, you know, when I went in the beginning, I was on some heavy duty anxiety medication for sleep. And my doctor was like, look, I don't want to pull you off of this while we're putting you through the pushes. We need your body to sleep. Well, as I'm going through the process, it's getting worse and worse and worse. I'm having to increase my medication. And by the end, I'm not only taking the maximum amount of this benzodiazepine that I don't recommend people take. I'm also taking a ton of over-the-counter sleep medications because I can't sleep. And I kept been talking to the nurses about it and they kept saying, you know, stop the TMS, stop the TMS. We've seen this happen with other people. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm just following protocol. And my last push was on a Wednesday and that night I didn't sleep at all. And I came back in and the doctor, I put that in quotes because he's not even a doctor come to find out, um, happened to be there Thursday. And I said, look, I didn't sleep last night. My last push was last night. I don't know what's going on. And he said, let me treat you for TMS today. And I proceeded not to sleep for five days after that ended up in the ER and, you know, you're in the ER and they're asked, they're like, oh, you have Lyme disease. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, you're fine. Well, you know, you don't need anything. And I'm like, it's not the Lyme disease necessarily that's causing these problems, but like somebody needs to help me. Something's really wrong. So fast forward, we come to find out that the guy had actually overstimulated my brain and given me a TBI. So this is, this is the brain doctor they pulled in as a consultant, not the yeah. doctor, doctor, I think Dr. Fung was his name yeah. or Feng who, who, who runs the CR clinic, correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. Yes. Dr. Fung is awesome. This other guy is no bueno. So now you're, you were, this is at the end of two months, you finish your last push. You got, you got the, the brain treatment again and you overstimulated your brain. You find out in the ER, I'm guessing is where you learned your brain was overstimulated. Is that correct? So no, actually they didn't do anything for me in the ER. Um, I didn't find out until, so I finished my pushes, like, I want to say like December 23rd, or I, I finished at Sierra integrative at December 23rd of 2019. I went back to San Diego with my sister, who was my caretaker, um, at the beginning of January after new year's. And that's when we knew, I still didn't know because I'm brain dead basically at this point. I'm like a total vegetable. I thought I was having TBI symptoms from having so many high fevers. And um, I was so fatigued. I could barely stand up. I would get overstimulated. Like I could not walk into a grocery store. Um, I couldn't you drive. Worse? When you were, oh, I was, I was when you went way to worse. Okay. Mm -hmm. I was worse. And I kept saying to people, like, I feel like something's wrong, you know? And and they were like, oh no, you're fine. And it was finally one of my nurses in San Diego that was like, the light in your eyes is gone. Like something happened to you there. And they all thought it was from the Lyme treatment, which it's not. I want to be that, make that very clear. So it was not the fevers that caused this. It was not the fevers. No. So I think what happens though, for Lyme specifically, and I know you've had neurological Lyme before is that people get very concerned about what's going on in the brain and how the, you know, the, the Lyme can affect the brain. And 
which is very true, but I wouldn't, from my experience, I wouldn't jump into another, if I could go back, I wouldn't have jumped into another treatment right away. I would have preferred to just treat the Lyme, see how I felt, and maybe my brain would have healed on its own. So talk to us more about some of the symptoms you experienced from this traumatic brain injury, from the overstimulation of your brain, from, from this brain treatment. What were the symptoms like and how are they different than your normal Lyme symptoms you were having prior to that? Yeah. So, you know, I always joke that I'm kind of a tank. Um, the amount of Lyme and mold that I had in my system still didn't seem to make me, I mean, I've met people who were so sick with Lyme and mold that they could barely move. That wasn't necessarily me. I was still pretty, you know, with it, um, could still pretty much function. I mean, I don't know what you want to consider function, but for me, as I was thinking that I was functioning, able to take care of myself and all of that was gone. I mean, I could barely stand up straight. Um, I would, I also have always had blood sugar problems. So I would get these feelings of, I thought I was having low blood sugar and I would eat. And it wasn't that I physically could not, I could barely, I was a vegetable at that point. Like that's where I feel like, you know, most people who have Lyme disease are in that state. And that happened to me from a brain injury. So I was sensitive to lights. I had to wear sunglasses at nighttime. I couldn't watch TV. I basically just, I couldn't get out of bed. So you mentioned it was one of the nurses, I believe in LA that said, Hey, look, something's not right. The light behind your eyes is gone. Yeah. Was, were there any tests that were done to prove that your brain was damaged from the, the brain therapy you got at Sierra? So the one test that was done was a follow-up FEEG by the guy who did the damage. Um, and I didn't know, you know, I didn't read it at the time because I was not in a good state, but it was another person from Sierra integrative that I met that was asking me about the FEEG that, you know, I opened it up and I looked at it and I said, this is how you read it. Cause I'm a scientist. So I know how to read these things. And that's when I looked at it and I compared it to my other one. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like he messed up. This is not right. So you could see where I was before where I'm supposed to be and where I was now. And I was way over. And then my, um, I was in a doctor's appointment with my naturopathic doctor in San Diego. And my sister was there and she's had a brain injury. She's worked with a lot of people with brain injuries. And she said right in front of me, you know, I think I'm looking at a brain injury here. And my doctor was like, I think I am too. So I'm going to get another follow-up FEEG to see where I'm at now, because there wasn't an MRI or anything done, but, um, I so mean, this was your, your functional doctor and your sister were looking at the results from this, this fake doctor essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And saw, saw the decline and, and indicated a TBI. Yeah. Yeah. So now that your, your functional doctor says, Hey, look, you got a TBI. What can you do to help that? So what are your next steps? You walk us through, I guess the first question is before we even go there. What, how did that affect you emotionally at that point? Oh my gosh. I mean, well, to be totally honest, I was so messed up. I didn't even know, honestly, like I just didn't understand. I, you know, I'd been sick for so long at this point that it was almost like it was normal, but even though it wasn't, I know it's terrible to say, but that's, I mean, I really honestly didn't even know how sick I was until now that I'm back to normal. I can look back and be like, Oh my gosh, that was horrific. And you know, this happened you know, I got diagnosed with the, the TBI March 3rd and COVID hit everything shut down. 
So I went up to my parents in Tahoe because my sister and I were in San Diego and poor thing was, you know, we've talked about caregiver burnout. She was burnt out and all of a sudden the pandemic hits, she can't take care of me anymore. So we go up to Tahoe and we're there for, um, you know, March, April, May. And then in June, I have another episode of not sleeping for 48 hours where I lose my ability to read and write. And that's when I was doing TikToks and, you know, um, Instagrams and meeting a bunch of people and trying to help a bunch of people. And I completely, you know, I lost it. Um, losing my ability to read and write was probably one of the scariest things I've ever, I've ever experienced. And that's when, again, my sister works in treatment and she was like, we have to do something. And she called around and found this treatment center in the Valley in Los Angeles that, um, they do like daily neurofeedback and a bunch of other stuff. And they sent me there for five months to rehabilitate my brain. So before we get into that, I think it's important to talk about the fact that you were active on social media, both TikTok and Instagram, you weren't sleeping and a lot of stress and baggage can come along with being active, especially on a, on a very popular platform like yours on TikTok and social media. So do you think that that contributed to the stress load that, that caused you not to sleep and ultimately that crash of not being able to have, uh, you know, be able to read or, or, or think properly? No, because, you know, at the time that was, I wasn't working. I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything. I was basically just at home. Um, was part of it stressful? Yeah. I did start to feel the pressure which is why I think I shut everything down. I don't think it was a contributor to the insomnia attack, we'll call it. But um, I think after the insomnia attack was when I really started to be like, I don't know if I can keep up with this. This is getting too hard. People are asking too much of me. Um, and I felt really bad that I couldn't do that. So on that note, specifically with people are asking too much of you and just the the volume of trying to help so many people that are sick with, with Lyme and in your case, probably mold that are reaching out. What advice would you give to others who are trying to give back and help the community in the Lyme world and are feeling overwhelmed and like it's, it's almost burdening them? What advice would you give them so they can keep helping others, but not let it impact their own health? That's a very good question. I think that the best way to go about it is to release, you know, content, you know, for me, it was videos, or posts that were very informative and not be attached to having to respond to everything. Um, when my first TikTok video went viral and I was getting thousands of comments, I mean, I just finally reached a point where I was like, if I keep doing this, I'm going to throw up. Like, there's just no way I can't keep up with it. So I would release something else or I would go live and say, thank you so much for all of that. Um, so I would say that's probably the healthiest way to deal with it is to, you know, release the information that you can, that can be helpful. If you can't reach everybody, that's okay. Find another way to acknowledge that you received their messages. So let's go back now to, I believe it was the middle of last year of 2020 during the pandemic and your sister finally finds somebody in LA who can do neural feedback to, to likely help with, with your TBI. So I guess the first question is, can you explain for our listeners what is neural feedback and how can it help a TBI or a traumatic brain injury? Yeah. So neurofeedback, traditional neurofeedback is something that you do when you look at a computer screen and they run this um, little test on you to see like what, what areas of the brain are need training, we'll call it. It's basically training. And so you look at these pictures and they're all moving and then you hear, hear these sounds. So it's training different parts of the brain to 
basically start to heal itself. Um, there's also microcurrent direct neurofeedback, which I did the entire time that I was sick. And it, it was probably, um, you know, for people with Lyme and mold, we're such a moving target. So I didn't see bunch of support with the microcurrent neurofeedback, but I'm sure it was keeping me stable at the time, but traditional neurofeedback, you know, you look at the screen, it's training your brain, um, to kind of like, you know, like, like training anything, you know, you're training a muscle, you're training your brain in different parts of it to kind of get it to start functioning again, normally. That makes sense. It does. So now I'm assuming you went down to LA and you did this, this therapy and walk us through, was it helpful? How long did it take and what that was like? Yeah. So it was actually, um, a full blown, um, inpatient partial hospitalization program. Um, it's called awakenings. Most people were there for drug and alcohol rehab. Um, and I was in the, what they call the, the, the trauma, the professional trauma track. So another thing that I don't think people talk about a lot is when you're sick for so long, you go through a lot of trauma. Um, it's very, very traumatic. So they did a really great job at not only helping our brains, um, rewire themselves, but we did a lot of trauma training. Um, you know, a lot of therapy, group therapy, um, uh, what's it called? Breath work um, to kind of release the trauma that we've been through. And then we also did, you know, what they called movement therapy. So they had us moving and working out and I was there, I was only supposed to be there for three months and I ended up being there for five and I probably could have stayed longer. Um, I was just so, I mean, I, for me, I wanted to come out of that being able to sleep and that still wasn't the case when I left, but there was really nothing left for me to do there. But aside from, the, the inability to sleep and solving the insomnia, were there any other positive impacts that came out of that stay? Oh yeah. Um, you know, I walked in there and any of my treatment friends can tell you, I mean, they called me Dory. I could not remember what I had done the day before I was laid out in group half the time and, you know, was like, I don't know what we're doing or what we're talking about. And I'm sorry, I can't sit up straight. And that was completely different by the end. I mean, the feedback I got from people was like, you know, they're like, you could be running this group at this point. Like you're so with it, you know, what's going on. You've learned so much. And I felt that way too. Like I really, I went from like zero to a hundred in that place for sure. Minus the fact that I couldn't sleep, but, um, I was definitely functionally much better. So your brain and your cognition and your ability to speak and your ability to think and read that came back. It sounds like yes. it's just that you couldn't sleep. Yes. So I've struggled really hard with word finding for a long time. And that was one of my main Lyme symptoms. Um, word finding, creating sentences was, and then forgetting things like before I found out I was sick, I would leave my keys in the door all the time or leave the stove on, you know, all those kind of neurological issues. So not all of that finally, like I started to be able to speak English again. Like I had a hard time speaking English for a long time. And this is all from the brain retraining. And a lot of this, I'm drawing parallels to other therapies that past podcast guests have done. And tell me if you've heard of these and if they're similar, things like DNRS and EMDR and the Gupta protocol, a lot of those neural retraining programs for people with chronic Lyme that people get sort of at the end of their chronic Lyme treatment to help them bounce back into a normal lifestyle. Are they, are they similar? Are you, are you familiar with those, those therapies? So 
I'm similar with EMDR. And so what my understanding of EMDR is, is this is a type of therapy where they basically take you back into whatever kind of traumatic experience you've had and, and work through it. Um, neurofeedback is probably doing that without you having to go back is how I would say the difference. It's doing it on its own. Um, as opposed to you having to physically sit there where the therapist is taking you back in time and you're getting back to that traumatic experience. Um, I don't know about the other ones, but you know, it's, they all sound like they're more of, um, you know, they're therapeutic as far as like, um, a psychiatrist or a psychologist is, is running that, um, they're all very good. Cause I do think what is missed a lot with people who get sick is the therapeutic piece of it, where, you know, you're going through so much, you need, you need to deal with the trauma that you're dealing with in the, at the time. So, and this is probably a hard question is in, at, at its base level, the neurofeedback therapy you went through, was it essentially resetting the neurons in the brain and the way your brain chemistry behaves yeah. to get it back to a pre-sick or pre-illness or a pre-TBI state? Is that what it's doing in a nutshell? Yeah. Yeah, basically. And I, my understanding is like microcurrent direct neurofeedback is a little bit better at that because it's sending a tiny, tiny little signal to help the brain start to rewire on its own. Um, traditional, you know, takes a different approach where it's trying to train the, you know, exercise certain parts of the brain. But yes, yeah, so the whole purpose is to get it back to its baseline, you know, not sick, not inflamed um, for alcoholics and drug addicts pre, you know, being addicted, that type of stuff. So if you're, it sounds like this, this stay was very helpful for you. Are you comfortable sharing the name of the clinic in case people listening are interested in, in learning more or potentially going themselves? Yeah, absolutely. It's called Awakenings Treatment Center and um, it's in Agora Hills. And, you know, like I said, 85% of people were there for drug and alcohol, but there was, you know, a handful of us that were not there for that. There was another girl that had Lyme disease and a TBI there as well. Um, the owner actually, uh, Sherry Corbett had Lyme. And so that was one of the main reasons I ended up going there because I was like, okay, she knows what we go through. And she was hooked up to an IV for a year as well. So she understands that this is a different type. This is a different ball game. So let's put things in perspective a little bit, because we know from our offline discussion that you and your sister have a really special bond. And before you got this neural feedback training, you were speaking gibberish, you told us, yeah. <laughs> and that you literally had a secret language with your sister where you guys could only communicate with each other because it was just this gibberish back and forth. So it sounds like once you finish this neural feedback that that gibberish speaking was gone and you were able to speak pretty well without reverting back to randomly speaking nonsense, essentially. <laughs> the twin language, yeah. The twin language. I mean, so it still happens when I'm, when I'm really tired. Like, um, I will, you know, for me, it's hard. So if I'm really tired, I have trouble communicating. That's still a problem. But so it does, we still have a twin language. Yes, it's not used as much as it used to be, thankfully. But I mean, it would be funny. We would be in front of people and I would just say something and everyone's like, what is she talking about? And she's like, oh yeah, she's saying that blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know, I mean, at the time I didn't realize what I was doing, but yeah, it was, it was a total, it's like a toddler language. <laughs> That's another thing we need a video for to share with people if you have one, because that I think I will uh, look. would be very relatable. <laughs> I would definitely look. I don't know, but I'm sure I had, I'm, it happened on my lives on TikTok all the time. So 
it sounds like this, you went there to LA in the middle of last year during the pandemic in 2020, and you were there for a couple of months. So now you're coming back, you're finishing up, it's the end of 2020. So at that point, you're still dealing with major, major insomnia. What other symptoms are left at this point, you know, at the end of last year? Fatigue um, and difficulty. Um, I want to say difficulty concentrating. I mean, what, and what I mean by that was when I came out, I was not ready to go back into the workforce at all. Like I couldn't, I still am at the point where I can't work. I, I don't know how I can work an eight hour workday, um, you know, cause I'm still, I still have one mold in my system too, that I'm still detoxing off of. And I'm still having liver problems and I'm still having, um, thyroid and adrenal issues. So like, I'm still in my process, unfortunately. Am I in remission from Lyme? Yes. I've been in remission from Lyme since 2019. I just got another, I get a dark field test every few months just to make sure. Um, and so fortunately I'm okay, but I've also been told that I've had a couple of, of labs that have shown up that said the Lyme wants to reactivate because I'm still dealing with the mold, right? My immune system's still down. So I'm keeping a very close eye on it. And I hope people know that like, once we have Lyme, it's like cancer, we, it's something we're going to have to deal with for the rest of our lives. Um, and it goes into remission and we just have to stay on top of it. Um, which is great. You know, we get to stay healthy all the time and not have any fun. Just kidding. There's, there's a both and there, but yeah. Um, but it's, so it does sound like though, that you are in Lyme remission. And the, the really important tip here is that some people that are generally healthy can have mold exposure and not feel anything or not have any illness, but because now you've had Lyme and you will have Lyme in your system likely forever. Like I, like I do, yeah. that you have to be sure to be as healthy as possible to knock down mm -hmm. the mold as much as possible because the mold can trigger the Lyme. Exactly. And it sounds like your doctors are telling you that the Lyme wants to reactivate because it senses the mold and it wants to now dog pile on to make you even sicker. Yep. Again. yep. And I've seen a lot of memes on Instagram of how mold and Lyme are like, uh, what is it like gasoline to a fire, you know, and, you know, my roommate didn't get mold poisoning. Um, she had a fan in her bathroom though, when she was barely home. I mean, she did break out in hives a couple of times. And I do think that that was related to the, the mold, but, um, yeah, it's, you know, I think one thing for people to know is like, it's, I guess, unfortunate that this is something we're always going to have to deal with. I know for me, I'm always going to have to deal with it. When I was in treatment, for the brain injury at that center, I got re-exposed to mold and it sucks. I'm still dealing with it now, but have I learned that like, you know, I carry an ozonator around with me. I don't know if you guys are familiar with those, but they kill, um, actually it's right here. I have a little mini one that I brought with me to Hawaii. Cause I don't trust any place. And I've also been doing hyperbaric oxygen chamber treatments, which fortunately I had a family friend that's letting me do it for free, but am I going to have to buy one of those and have it for the rest of my life? Yeah, I think I am, you know, just to make sure that I'm staying as healthy as possible to live the most normal life I can. And I do think, you know, Dr. Fong recommends coming back once a year and doing pushes just to make sure that everything stays fine. And it's only a week of pushes. It's five. Um, unfortunately my body is not prepared to do that yet since I'm still, still dealing with this, the other stuff, but I'll probably be doing five pushes come you know, November, December of this year. And that's just something I'm going to have to do. And I would rather do that than, cause I met a couple people at Sierra integrative that it was their second round of a six to eight week treatment. And I just, I don't want to do that again. So I want to go back to the neural feedback and the neural, the neural retraining. Do you, yeah. have you done any tests since then to 
to, you know, for your sister and your, and your naturopath to look at, to say, wow, we can see the, we can actually see an improvement here. Or, or I think, you know, has that been done? So no, but it is in the works. Um, I, there's a really good neurologist down in San Diego that I'm going to be getting into uh, this next month because actually, um, I need it anyway. I'm going to go after the doctor that did the, the doctor quote unquote, that did the brain injury. Um, but I need that proof of it. So that will be happening soon. And hopefully we can see, you know, they can see where I was, what he did and where I'm at now and get the full picture of everything. But clearly based on your own awareness and your family's awareness, you made significant cognitive improvements from going there. So with, yes. even though you don't have the actual hardcore proof, you know, you've made progress and probably re- reversed all, if not most of the damage done. Yeah. Yeah. I would say I'm about 85% better. So I just want to circle back because you had a lot, you did have the TBI complication and you had, you have the mold that you're dealing with and you're addressing, but it sounds like that you credit and rightfully so the Sierra Inter- Integrative Medical Center for getting your Lyme under control and into remission. And that those, that those glycol butt shots and that the, the algae pushes or the mitochondrial pushes and, and all the detoxing they did was really effective and a game changer for you to actually heal from Lyme. 100%. I, again, am the sixth person to go through their treatment. Um, everyone is in remission, living normal lives. I'm getting to my normal life. Um, my sister and my cousin have had two kids, both, and both the kids are fine. Um, you know, we did an extensive amount of research when they got six, six, seven years ago, and there is no treatment out there like this. I've met so many people who, you know, they get sick and they go to the doctor and they give them a couple of antibiotics and they say, call it a day. And just, that's not how it works. I, if any, like anybody that I know that has Lyme disease, I push them to go to see our integrative medical center. I've talked to a lot of people who my family members have met and they're like, Hey, can you talk to this person about what's going to happen? And you know, if they should go. And I'm like, absolutely. They're hands down as, I mean, maybe if you go to San Aviv, I don't know if people would be comfortable going to Mexico, but there's a little girl. Um, she's probably 10 years old. She was actually just there when I got my last dark field she came from Mexico, um, when I was doing my pushes and, you know, for her yearly week pushes and she could go to Santa Aviv. Um, although I think Santa Aviv is a lot more expensive, actually, it's probably like $40,000 to go there. So, um, yeah, Sierra integrative center, they have it dialed in. They've been doing this for, I mean, like I said, Dr. Fong's mom was the one that started this. So 30 years at least, and it works. So my final question before I give this back over to Rich is, I mean, clearly you've made significant progress. You mentioned that you were speaking gibberish. You couldn't, you couldn't read, you couldn't speak. And now we've, we've been talking, including our offline time for several hours and you haven't spoken gibberish once. So give us an idea as to what other things have improved in your health, right? Things that you couldn't, you couldn't even think or dream about doing when you're at your worst that you're doing now, like maybe even being on vacation in Hawaii, right? Give us some ideas of things that you're doing that you never thought you could do to give people hope and inspiration that are listening to this podcast. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I was able to ski during the winter, um, which I didn't know if I was going to be able to do that. Um, I'm still not fully back to my total exercising. I was a crazy exerciser if you guys know that before, but, um, you know, I mean, I am starting to pick up work again, which I didn't think that I was going to be able to do. I mean, there was a time period where I was really scared that it was never going to come back. Um, I can hold conversations, obviously. I mean, if you talked to me this time last year, this would have been a completely different podcast. Um, my social skills are coming back. 
I had lost them for a while and my personality, um, you know, I just didn't ever think that that was going to come back. Um, and just to be the person I wanted to be and slowly and surely, you know, because I'm still in my process, I'm very, you know, I want to make sure I take care of my body, but even being here in Hawaii, I've been able to let loose a little bit, which I didn't think that was going to be the possible for me. I really thought that I was going to be really, you know, strict on everything. And so, yeah, I mean, reading and writing obviously is huge. Do I still have problems every once in a while? Yes. Um, my fatigue has gotten much better. It's I'm still fatigued, but you know, I can function. I mean, functioning is a huge one. So why don't you talk to us now about your transformation, meaning what has been beautiful about this journey and what did you learn about yourself that you believe you would not have learned about yourself had you not gone through the suffering caused by chronic Lyme disease? Yeah, that's a really good question as well. You know, for me, I'm always the type of person that the glass is half full. So I was like, okay, this happened for me. What, why, why is this happening for me? And I, you know, I became a dietitian because I wanted to help people. That was the main reason. Um, and I wasn't doing that in my career. I was calculating tube feeds and, you know, shoving insurer down people's throats and, you know, because my license was on the line and this really gave me the opportunity to help a lot more people than I anticipated. And that was through social media. And, um, you know, and I do see myself in the future continuing to share my story. Um, hopefully I'll be giving talks. Um, and it's really given me the opportunity to help a lot of people, which is something I'm really grateful for. I actually, I did a reading with a lady and she said, you know, there's this, um, culture or this kind of like ceremony that happens in the native American culture where a couple of people like get tied to trees and they sacrifice themselves for like 48 hours or whatever for the rest of the tribe. And she's like, that's what you did. You sacrificed yourself for other people. So, you know, as much as it sucked, um, I'm so grateful that I can be of a help to other people and steer, steer people in the right direction, hopefully. And, encourage people. Um, there was one woman that reached out to me on Instagram that had trouble giving herself shots. And, you know, so I went on and I got on live or, or my story and I just gave myself my shots for everyone to see, to be like, Hey, it's okay. Like you can do this. I'm here with you too. I want to thank you for tying yourself to the tree for 48 hours because it really has been a really, really beautiful and powerful podcast. I mean, you're, you, you really are awesome. And oh, thank you. So in, in the spirit of, of, of uh, asking you to be awesome for one more moment, um, if God forbid your sister, who's been so wonderful to you on this journey, came walking over to you after you finished this podcast and she had a tick biting her, what would you recommend that she do so she wouldn't have to go through a chronic Lyme disease journey? So I would drive her straight to Reno and I would get that dark field test and I would get her in with Dr. Fong. That's what I would do. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Fiora Dupronte. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Fiora and her Lyme disease journey, please visit our Instagram page at Fiora.Dubronte. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided to us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. 
Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank your community for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes or on Instagram or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.